Eric Fischel is an internationally acclaimed American painter and sculptor. Fischel's paintings, sculptures, drawings, and prints have been the subject of numerous solo and major group exhibitions, including at the Met, the Whitney, the MoMA, and many more museums across the world. He co-founded with his wife, painter April Gornick, the Church Arts Center in Sag Harbor, and is the president of the Academy at Guildhall. Please welcome Eric Fischel to the creative process. Looking at uh, your your paintings, uh, I was wondering how you choose that moment to paint. I, I uh, really actually arrive at that moment rather than choose it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for it, but it's but I arrive at it, and it's I try, I try to find a. Um, you know, um, a body language and a uh, relationship of the body to the environment, um, to the place that the people are in, that um, creates a, a feeling of of a moment, some, that something is happening or is about to happen or has just happened. And, and then it's trying to figure out how close to the event, time-wise, I, I feel is the most poignant. And is it, you know, within the moment? Is it an is it an instant before the moment? Is it five minutes later? Is it, you know, where where is that place to stop it? And uh, each time the decision is. Um, you know, a little different. So, yeah, it's it's very beautiful, and I wonder if you uh, find. I wonder if you ever watch films or television with the sound muted. I often take a bus to the city that runs mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. and uh, I can't stand it, so I I don't listen to it, but I watch it, and 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 you know, then get into trying to imagine what the dialogue is or what the you know storyline is, et cetera, so. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah, because what you're talking about, the cutaway moment or the cut-to moment, and it seems it's, it seems like a film, but different. Maybe it is what happens after they say cut, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, um, well, you know, in terms of influences, my, um, I, I was brought up being exposed to, television and movies and photography long before I I was uh, exposed to painting mm-hmm. and and so um I th- I certainly think my my sense of drama was influenced by that um, and so but I think that you know I, actually I think that painting the way I've always understood painting itself as a process is narrative. And whether it's even in its most abstract, which is color, line, form, mm. you know, gesture, et cetera, there, there's still a, a, 
a kind of a linearity to it that's narrative-like. There's something that, you know, starts someplace, goes someplace, makes decisions that changes course or adds on to and then ultimately concludes. And, uh, and, and so I think it, 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 you know, where, certainly from the artist's point of view, where where the artist starts and where the artist ends up are two different places. To me, that's mm-hmm. the definition of narrative. So. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is is with yours, because you are telling stories with your paintings, but at the same time, what I find is very interesting in yours is you don't put it all there. You leave space for the viewer's imagination, and it can go w- several ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in... in Telling the viewer anything. Um, I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is, is taking the viewer to the same place I'm at, which is the point at which meaning begins to be generated. So it's and and the meaning in this or the meaningfulness in this uh, moment has to do with uh, relationships between people and relationships between a person and their body uh, and inside and an outside uh, the conflicts and and um, awkwardnesses and uh, you know all of all of that and and uh, I, I don't I don't own the interpretation I have my own but it's no better or worse than somebody else's interpretation so I, I I'm what I do is try to make people feel comfortable that they can possess the work through their own interpretation. Mm. Have you been surprised by some interpretations that have just been completely the opposite of what you might have been aiming for, even though you don't want to stamp your interpretation? I, I, have, I have had that. I, I actually... Um, and I don't know what to do with it. It, 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 uh, I, as I say, I don't own it, so it's not that I, I can simply look at the person and say, you know, you are so dead wrong that, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I, um, yeah, I, I had one not that long ago where I had done a painting of a, an older couple. And it was, it was a kind of an existential image, I think, of a, uh, it, was, it was like this black water, this like black pond water autumnal oh, yeah. leaf mm-hmm. and and uh, there was a, a woman in the foreground who was her motion was arrested she was like she had just noticed that the man she was with w- which was an older man as well and uh, you know presumed that they were a couple but he was naked and walking deeper into the black water and mm. separating from her and and she had just noticed it so she was sort of turning towards him and gesturing like with her arm out like no we're going this way <laughs> any anyway this moment to me seemed like a, a a very sad one about older couples separating you know through death mm. or health or distance uh, emotionally or whatever there was something that I, I felt tragic about it 
Mm-hmm. And I said to this person, I said, you know, this is the saddest painting I've ever done. And they said, oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think this is quite happy. She's so strong. And she's saying, no, get over here. We're going this way. And, of course, he's going to turn around and go with her. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I I haven't I haven't seen the act I the reproduction so I haven't I want to see that one that you say is the saddest but actually I think that it's what's nice I don't like that word nice but what's so interesting about your paintings is that you have the the feelings are mingled you know as you say it's not definite and um, yeah the tenderness yeah so that, I yeah. think the the artistry is trying to have mingled feelings without ambivalence. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that's sincere. Like, it's not just like shop, like yeah. uh, ambiguity is what I look for. Ambivalence is what I fear, and mm-hmm. uh, and try to stay away from. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if I can contain uh, you know sort of contradictory feelings within a within a, a moment, then I've actually achieved something. Yeah. Yes, you said something beautiful about wanting to create memorable images or that are so poignant. I don't know how you phrased it exactly in your memoir. It was so beautiful. Um, I think they they do really print on our memories, but they're quiet and sensitive at the same time. And it seems like that must be the most difficult thing, to create impact, but also on our beauty and life, really. I was, I was, um, I wrote somebody, a friend of mine, uh, this morning who had sent me a blog mm-hmm. of um, uh, photo images from uh, around the world, chaos, you know, because of the destruction of Mexico City earthquake and, oh, yes. and Puerto Rico and, and uh, you know, all of the, the, the Rohingya uh, genocide, etc. And they, these were, you know, photographers from um, everywhere. I, anyway, I, yeah. uh, to say, so I'm looking at these photos and I found myself having this like profoundly mixed feelings about it. One is I'm, uh, you know, the, the, the shock and horror, uh, the, the images of such tragedy. It was appalling, right? Mm-hmm. And and then I found myself relieved when uh, every now and then one of them achieved true beauty, and yeah. and I found myself thinking with with the beauty it was like well there's there's actually nothing more than can, that can be said about the the tragedy because it it was encapsulated in a kind of exquisite order of beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, and that that's what it elegant that's what that's what art does is it sort of balances suffering and chaos and empathy and, and order mm-hmm. uh so perfectly that i i thought well that must end the suffering right there because it we we articulated it so perfectly mm-hmm. and i thought i mean it's obviously not true but that's the that's the uh delusion of the artist 
that that somehow the the struggle to articulate something so eloquently may end it, you know, or transform it. Yeah. Or what? Or or transform it. Yeah, it's or transform it. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes. How weird is that? Do you ever feel sometimes when you're painting, it's you become slightly autistic? Because we're sort of talking about um, looking at objects beyond or people beyond what they <laughs> represent. Did you say autistic? Yes, I don't mean to be bad, but it was kind of was leading towards that. <laughs> Is it bad? I mean, because you're like like <laughs> like you you paint yourself into some aspect of the spectrum. Is that? I think. That, I think uh, it's, I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't mean in a bad way, but I mean is like in, as I look over your motifs or you're talking about what's going on in Mexico now, whatever, and then and you're seeing something beautiful in it, and there is something beautiful in the gesture, like dance almost. But that's mm-hmm. almost like the way um, pe- people who aren't completely drawn into the emotion. Maybe it's a kind of not even artistic. It's like it's a strange question to ask, but. Sometimes you can put no, as much emotion. It's actually in. very interesting. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, in order to uh, to paint, um, you know, to paint feelings, uh, you have to somehow separate yourself from them, right? They, they, they. And, and maybe that's what you mean by autistic or something like mm-hmm. that, that there's a, a, a strange detachment that uh, occurs. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, sort of. But, uh, yeah, but I think a detachment full of feeling. But like when I look at like um, uh, the Creffa project, how much emotion you put into a chair or a bottle of water or, you know, and that is called the glass, mm-hmm. you know, it's so... It's yeah, that's the that's the magic yeah. of uh, painting. That's why I love painting, as opposed to some other forms, it, is because it, you actually can invest all kinds of uh, feelings in, into things that are inanimate. You know, you can actually put consciousness into a chair. Yeah, that that, that you can make the chair become the witness. Mm. And uh, uh, that that to me seems kind of amazing that uh, that we can do that that we can you know communicate with each other through these this this that way I I guess I don't know it's very meditative they have their own life too we just don't get to think about it very often uh huh. Yeah, well, I'd, I mean, I don't personally subscribe to the thing that they're animated and, you know, they, that they that chair has a life that actually has its own consciousness to it. But I, I definitely subscribe to the idea that you can project consciousness onto it. You can mm. You can somehow animate it yourself for other purposes than what the chair is actually there for, so... Yes. Oh, I didn't mean to. I'm just being a bit um, exaggerated. But, yeah, I think maybe uh-huh. if you spend... Like, the way a house can collect the personality of its owner and that kind of thing. Um, so, I, 
I'm just looking at you know your early um, abstracts, which are interesting, and the and then the turn that you took. Could you describe that process a little? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, uh, the the early abstraction came from um, you know the way I was educated. Uh, the the influences that my teachers had on me was. Um, based on the fact that they were abstract artists. And uh, so I, I kind of under, began to understand the nature of painting through that process. Um, and it's an abstraction is a you know a form of painting that I, I really admire and love. But what I found in my own work was that I I really wasn't very good at it and uh, I, I I didn't the one painting didn't immediately take me to the next painting it was like each painting was the end of something rather than uh, in a flow and uh, over a period of time, I, I began to realize that I was working against myself when I was trying to be just an abstract painting. And I, I started to allow, at first, a kind of, um, you know, sort of language uh, reference into the work as a way of uh, sort of kick-starting uh, kind of narrative associations. Uh, but not trusting the painting. I was trusting the words more than the paintings. And then eventually I began to trust the painting, the, the, the imagery more than the language. So it, it, that sort of completed the transition. But... As I read, although actually I, I'm, I haven't been to see many of the abstract reproductions, but I thought some, mm, the ones with words in them, they're interesting, but some of the ones without words, I think they're interesting, but I think I love your figurative painting, so that's, I'm glad you made the move. But uh, once I read your description of um, maybe it was one step along the way, I realized then when left to my own devices and in a spirit of spontaneity, I'd produced a representational painting. I guess this is when you were working on a L.A. Um, mural project, one with recognizable figures, and it was the most fun I'd had painting in a long time. Mm. Uh, and I think it's true. We have to have fun when we're doing art. Uh, and what's the point if you're forcing it, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I... I uh there's so many other problems that come up with creating a, a work of art that to 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 have a, you know one of them be working against yourself makes it even that much more difficult. So so yes, I. Uh, I think you know having some level of fun, uh, confidence, interest, enthusiasm. You know, a lot of positive uh, um, energy going into uh, something is is absolutely essential to the process because ultimately you're in the middle of the process with so much doubt, 
so much uncertainty, so much frustration, you know, that, that if the pleasure wasn't there, you know, then, uh, then you really, you couldn't finish it. You just give up. What is the most fun part of the process from you? For, for planning or later or? Well, well, they're, they're different ones. I, I think, uh, I mean, they're different moments where, where there's different kinds of pleasure. Um, there's a, uh, I, I, I start every painting differently and uh, with the spirit that it's going to take me to some place different. Um, or I'm going to find a different way of articulating something that, that is, is the same, you know, thematically the same as what, what I do, but is, you know, approached differently. So there's a kind of enthusiasm for invention of how to start something. Um, and then there, there's a, a thing where the, where you've got enough going on in the, on the painted surface that you can slow down and, and concentrate in small areas. And, and there's a, a great pleasure for me in that, uh, you know, where I lose sight of the whole thing and I just concentrate on something. And uh, I can go for, you know, several hours working working in a small way mm-hmm. and enjoying that. And then there's also things that happen in the process of painting where you create an effect that was unexpected or, or uh, you know, had a kind of such a simple and direct articulation that there's pleasure in that as well. Mm. So, so it's, yeah. it, go ahead. I know sometimes when you talk about painting, you, the metaphors you use are, because I know you're a tennis player, and you talk about a painting like spinning off, and I'm just thinking about, you know, things land, and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to, you don't want to be in control all the time? Uh... I think what you try to do is is you know get get something out there that's not controlled and then try to reel it in and control it so uh you know there that's that's where the you know the tension is right yeah and in terms of the you know the sort of analogy of tennis with painting, uh, a lot of it has to do with, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, d- desire and execution happening simultaneously. You know, in mm-hmm. tennis, it's like you you sort of choose where you're going to hit the ball to and the effect it should have. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and in in painting, it's the same thing. The gesture is is meant to achieve something. At the same time, it's full of intentionality, and uh, and you know, executed perfectly. You know, is 
greatly rewarding. So. In your paintings, you go to very many, um, particularly um, in your earlier paintings, but now too, um, very many private places. And do you feel, does it ever make you feel exposed? There's a kind of um, biography, um, tensions or volatility maybe in your early life. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that, you know, in the, in the, the nature of fiction is that its roots are based on experience, right? Mm. And and so the you know the, the the impetus for fictionalizing truth is that it 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 dimensionalizes it in a way that straight autobiography doesn't, mm. and. Uh, you know, I can, uh, you know, speaking personally, I can bring into, um, uh, you know, a drama a variety of perspectives that most likely I didn't have when I was in a situation similar to that, right? Mm. <laughs> so it, so it, it, you know, so I think that's the, point it's it wherever the impetus starts the the result is what's important and and that has to do with it no longer being simply biography or simply autobiography but um, yeah. about you know something that hopefully reaches archetypes mm. oh yeah archetype. of course it's i thought it's true i just meant um, I think around the time you became a painter, which uh, I guess is in your 20s, um, I don't know if you want to speak about it, but you lost your mother. Um, and and does it become easier through the painting? You, you spoke about how you committed to never let the unspeakable also be the unshowable after you lost her. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know the 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 tragedy of uh, of my life surrounding all of that uh, time with with my mother and and her problems and and uh, her you know suicide uh, was I couldn't deal with for many years. So when I went off to be an artist, I went off to not look into the, the, the complexity of feelings and psychological damage that had occurred. It was only later when I started to work with figuration and work with, you know, uh, um, the, the sort of the matrix of family structure and the interrelationship between that the dynamism of my experience showed up uh, in a positive way. Uh, up until yeah. then, it had been in a in a suppressed way. It had been uh, uh, dark, murky feelings, uh, stubbornness, uh, uh, stodgy. Uh, unemotional, you know, et cetera, et cetera, had had uh, had been sort of the core of 
the kind of way that I was painting. And I feel exposed in a vulnerable way, mm-hmm. uh, not in an isolating way. Mm-hmm. It, uh, the, the vulnerability I feel is, is full of um, a kind of uh, confidence that they're, that 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 their sharing is taking place that that you know my experience is not dissimilar to others that there mm. is recognition of of otherness in in it and uh and an acceptance of it, it I, I feel it's something that brings us closer together rather than pulls us apart so well it's definitely because when you look at your paintings or what i feel is that kind of dropped into the middle of a conversation and it's so close. I mean, I don't, I don't know the people, but it's, it's so intimate and we don't, we don't get to see these, oh, we, how do you say, we, we avoid this kind of intimacy in, in normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, it's... Now, are you speaking as an English person as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not English. Even, even, even more heightened uh, sense of uh, embarrassment because we're, we're you're, you know, you're definitely not supposed to be focused on these kind of things. Or, I don't know. What do you think of... I don't know. I like that you, you said before that you, you paint... Um, Naked people, not nudes. It, it's just, uh, yeah, we we don't. I don't know. No, I don't. I don't feel exposed, but you know, I don't feel I'm that cut off. I don't feel that cold. But uh, we're trained not to have those feelings. Like we don't walk around the street with those faces, or we get it for just a second, and and you catch that, which is mm-hmm. which is beautiful. Um, and and another thing, I love the way you you paint women. Um, because it, I try to think about, I know you have some influences of people that you admire, painters, but I like just because you're dealing sometimes with taboo, I'm just changing the subject a tiny bit, but I think about a photographer like Helmut Newton, mm-hmm. who paints, or not paints, who uh, takes photographs where the women are it's kind of cold, like maybe you don't really want to know them, or they're like, they're mm-hmm. distant. And in yours is, I think it's dealing with some of the subject matter, but like going beyond to the sensitivity. Well, that's good. I like hearing that. Yeah, I mean, I I try to paint real people, mm-hmm. and and that means that includes their, you know, what's, you know, where where they they fall short of ideal, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and either in behavior or in physicality or you know something like that. So, and it's not just women. I I paint the men the same way. So. Oh yes, I didn't mean to concentrate on. I that. just. I just. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah I, like I just. I you know for me the it's always the 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 big question is. Uh, the constant question, not the big question, just uh, I, I can't seem to answer it with any consistency. It's like, what, what, what is, who are you, and what do I want from you, and what do you want from me, and can I get what I want from you, <laughs> and can you get what you want from me, and it, and is it enough? 
right? It's like uh-huh. it, se- it seems like every every time it's a negotiation of some mm-hmm. sort where desire and failure to achieve and and you know all of that is is constantly present. I mean, I I've never been able to have a an answer that lasted longer than the next encounter. Oh, yes, it's very hard to fix it. Yeah, but um, and most people don't. But know why? Why is it? Why should it be so hard? I mean, what is the what is the nature of it that it should be so hard to to not say, well, you know, this is the way we are, and this is the way we should behave, and this is what to expect, and you know, that's all there is to it. <laughs> so, are you kind of an idealist underneath? I mean, you like you want the best of human nature. I I do, yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't. In some I mean, who who wants the worst of human beings? No, <laughs> we, I we got that. So. <laughs> no, I meet people who like that. You know, they just like they love to have you know like good friends, and then they just love to pose arguments for no reason. And um, mm. I don't know why, because they like to see the animal come out. For some, they get a pleasure. Yeah. In it. Uh, and I don't. I I like to cooperate, but I think as an artist, wants to co- cooperate in general. Well, not all of them, but yeah. Uh, like to collaborate, like to see things done, see things made, and not see things um, torn apart. Um, well, you know, the the unfortunate thing about the world we live in, the modern world that we live in, in terms of art, is that it's all about us. You know, it's like I I wish we, in a way, lived in a time when it wasn't about us. That, it, that understanding the world didn't go through the individual's eyes, through the oh. individual's heart. Oh. That, it, that, that, that we were all connected to uh, uh, something that was outside of ourselves, that, that we applied ourselves to. You know what mm. I mean? It's like... Community. It, it's like now, you, you, know, you, you, know, you know, one artist is saying, understand the world through what I'm experiencing or what I feel. And somebody else is saying, you know, fuck that. Look at this. This is mm-hmm. how I feel. You know, discover the universal through this. Discover the universal through, the, you know, it's like, I'd rather discover the individual through an articulation of the universal that, that we all recognize, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, we don't have that anymore. So it's Crazy. I'm Lainey Sperry from a sophomore student studying American history and anthropology at Barnard College. I'm an associate podcast producer and interviewer here at The Creative Process. I'm really fascinated by the way that Fischl deconstructs this tension between the universal and the individual in the art world. It speaks to these larger questions about what the real purpose of art is. Is art supposed to allow the viewer to inhabit a different individual perspective? Or is it supposed to speak to something universally understood and impactful? I'm sure the quote-unquote answer lies somewhere in between or beside or above these questions, but I wonder about them nonetheless. As an American studies major, I can't help but think about how intensely American this tension is between 
the rights of the individual and the desire to govern as a whole. Doubtlessly, this conflict arises in other cultures as well, but Fischl is an American painter and was the lead curator of America now and here, so it makes sense to me that many of the concepts he discusses would resonate with an American narrative. The idea that Fischl brings up of understanding the individual through a universal lens really resonates with me, especially in contrast to current perspectives in the United States that I see. I think that with the rise in social media and general oversaturation in content, there's been a narrower focus on the individual, the personality, and what makes a figure stand out from those around them. Because of this, common experiences and overarching movements are often overshadowed by the cults of personality that drive them. In art, and especially in American art, there's such a rich tradition of using painting, photography, and many other mediums to spotlight these common or universal moments in people, bringing them into a new artistic light. Through this, we can both locate the beauty in these less spectacular moments, or in other cases, critique and problematize pieces of the everyday experience. I think in this way, Spotlighting universal values allows us to piece together who not only the artist is, but who ourselves and those around us are as well. I don't think this is dissimilar from how Fischl describes projecting consciousness onto a chair or other inanimate object. While a chair is quite a ubiquitous object, by giving it space and structure in an artistic medium, there are wholly new emotions and issues that come forward for both the viewer and the artist allowing participants to both enter a universal experience and challenge their own individuality. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with artist Eric Fischel. I, I think that uh, the art fairs for me were probably the, 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 the most sustained parody mm. that I'd uh, done. And um, it really was, you know, focused on no matter how sincere the artists are uh, in terms of what their objects, what they make and how they're trying to express themselves. The, the system for dis distribution is so against that, you know, that everything becomes an absurdity, uh, you know, background noise, or it becomes a parody of itself, or, you know, whatever, I don't know, just the, the whole commodification has changed it. Uh, you know, a lot of artists, uh, uh, you know, I feel a lot of artists have bought into it in, in a kind of way of saying, okay, this is it, we can't change it, so fuck it, you know. Mm. And embrace it in in this way that if you're not looking for something, I'm going to give you nothing anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, as opposed to those like myself who say, even though you're not looking for something, I'm going to give you something, and hopefully mm -hmm. you'll find pleasure and meaningfulness in the something I give you. But. Yeah. You know, it's put in a system that itself is saying, you know, the only thing that's meaningful here is the value of growth in economic terms of the object that you buy. 
and yeah. the status that it brings you and and you know how pathetic is that yeah. yes, it it was very um and yet as as much as you are parodying that it's still done with great sensitivity i mean it's still the beauty there so it's uh i think you can't stop yourself from being sensitive uh and that's rare mm. now i think in, in the, that world i like how you contrasted um the the raft of asylum seekers against the raft of this kind of orgy of um yeah that, i mean that 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 um conflation of two impossible you know oppositions right to, to mm. pull them together the 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 level of ennui in the left panel versus the drama uh, life uh, struggle in the other you know it's like how do you process those they're happening simultaneously how do you process them i i feel the same right now with the what's going on with all of the destruction and desperation with the you know right now in, in mexico and and you know, Florida and the Caribbean and, and Myanmar. And see, it's like you try to put that all that together with the fact that you wake up and go into your studio and paint people around the swimming pool. You know, it's like, yeah. how, how do you deal with it? You know, and, you know, how do you, how do you keep yourself alive in the, in terms of feelings? Mm-hmm. Well, you you teach students you you teach at the uh, you, sometimes you teach it's, um you have a lecture series you does that give you something being in contact with students with young people who are inspired the upcoming generation yeah i definitely like uh you know looking at young artists work kind of keeping in touch not that i fully understand what the hell it is they're doing but i keep in touch with mm-hmm with it and and uh and to to me the the greatest pleasure in in uh, connecting with a, a young art painter you know student mm-hmm. is is you look at their work and you can show them in a very simple way that you see everything that they're doing that you see when they're inspired, when they're afraid, when they're lazy, when they're when they're uh, confused, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that without knowing them at all, you can look mm-hmm. at the thing they're presenting you and you can say, well, see here, you, you couldn't figure this out at all. And over here, you were like, this gave you the greatest pleasure you've ever had in your life, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and... And watch these kids go, how can you see that? And, uh-huh. and then, you know, gradually realizing that, in fact, it's a language. You know, you're yeah. communicating. And everything mm-hmm. you put into a painting can be brought out of a painting and, and mm-hmm. by somebody who's literate in painting. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> to me, that's, that's a, uh, a great pleasure because it, it you know, it shows them that, you know, they're they're they will be seen, they will be understood, they will be felt, and that they have to take that very seriously. Yeah, yeah. It's the, each stroke has that feeling embedded in it. 
Yes, I know. It's usually I get uh, inspiration for um, very young people, or um, like we have an inner city school project, and I like working with the PhD uh, PhD students, the school for MFA students, but I really get a kick out of getting the they're just starting off and they're sending I think quite strong poems and anyway, I'm going off subject. The emotion mm-hmm. is so raw, and uh, they have. They're really at that when they're just becoming a writer, and I don't know if they'll go on to write books or what what it will be. But sometimes just wonderful things come out, and they don't. They just need to be seen. They just need someone to believe in them and understand what they're doing. Yeah, and I think I, for me that the po- the point of art is to inspire other people, mm-hmm. and also yeah, I should say give voice to what can't be said in um, everyday discourse, and, al- yeah. and also yeah. make them feel like they belong. They belong mm-hmm. to a to a, a, a larger world. Mm-hmm. They they fit into it. Also have some uh, projects that I do with, mm-hmm. um, inner, you know, uh, um, community college in Phoenix yeah. and stuff where the yeah. the whole thing is to to get them to feel like no no matter how their where their backgrounds are from, the difficulty they have in their personal lives. Uh, the isolation that they feel in relationship to to that that within the art community they're embraced they're welcome they're you know that they they all they have to do is just keep getting better at it you know mm-hmm. that but the community is there and uh I, you know I think that's something we're all looking for is is where we belong. So you you mentioned Phoenix and uh, you started uh, a gallery there as well. I don't know if I'm. No, I didn't start a gallery yeah. there. I I I went to uh, Phoenix Community College it was my mm-hmm. first year taking art mm-hmm. classes, and so I have a, an endowment there that I uh, I did a, a scholarship program. Mm-hmm. That I administer every year, and and uh, they they had just built. A new art building, and they very sweetly named the gallery after me. And uh, I, I guess because I'm one of their most illustrious art <laughs> students, so they did that. But it's but it's not my gallery. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I just uh, it just has my name on it. Oh, well, I'm sure you're very inspiring for them. You're talking about places feeling that you belong. Could you speak about the different places you've lived and how they they have inspired you and how they influence your work? The different artists? Uh, well, different artists and also different places you've lived and how... Um, oh, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't hear. Yeah, different places I've lived. Well, the, uh, you, you know, I, I started, I, I grew up on, in outside of New York in a suburb. Mm. And uh, and so, you know, my DNA is based on uh, on suburbia, and uh, and that is a very different set of um, you know signals and meanings and and uh, identifiers and stuff than you know urban life. Uh, so I draw a lot of inspiration from that, and uh, 
I, I went to my first years of, of art training were in Arizona and in Arizona you I, I was beginning to learn how to see and one of the things about desert light is that it's it's high contrast and it's it's like sharp edged and it's flat and so that that's become very much a part of uh, uh, work or, or certainly had over you know a long period of time um, and uh, I spent uh, time in uh, in early in the uh, 80s in Saint-Tropez and southern southern France uh, and the, the revelation of uh, the, 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 their sort of hedonism on the beaches uh, was had a profound in, impact. Uh, one being that the, the nudity or the partial mm. nudity uh, there was obviously not taboo. And uh, so it went against my sort of American puritanism, mm -hmm. and uh, and also the body language of the people were, was social. Uh, so it wasn't art school nude posing. It was people interacting with each other, but but without clothes on, and so that became a basis for my dramas was being able to use because I took a lot of photographs of them and I would put them into paintings where where wherever I put them they would be now naked not simply nude but they'd be naked and interacting and it would be believable and so mm -hmm. that was very significant uh, for me um, you know, India, I, I went to without any expectations of anything, and, and India I found to be the most alien experience I'd ever had. It was something where I, I felt I, I didn't understand the body language, I didn't understand the social cues, I, I understood nothing about where I was. Uh, and because I couldn't read the signals, I felt so alien to them. And uh, and so, you know, when I came back from India, it was about trying to sort of put that experience back together again. So that was uh, an important moment. It was a little bit of a, of a side trip, actually, because it didn't, you know, I didn't continue the, that uh thing but it was it was still within the thematics of you know sort of uh, measuring myself against the distance between me and otherness and um, and, and uh, anyway yes go ahead I oh, know and it's and also you painted you were you painted in Rome that was shortly after your father's death yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, um, you know, I went to Rome a month after he died, and uh, and so that was a, 
uh, an extraordinary experience as well that you know I, I fond of saying because it was a revelation to me that uh, if you have to grieve, Rome is the place to do it because the one thing about Rome is they're in no rush to forget. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the past lives in a, in a very comfortable relationship to the present. And, uh, you know, nothing stays buried for long. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I found it was, you know, very, very uh, meaningful and, and helpful to me to be there at that time. Uh, and also it's a, because it's a art wise, it's a it's a place of it's the opposite of modernism. Uh you know, the the thing about modern modernism is that it it's it it tried and successfully got rid of shadows. And by getting rid of shadows, it got rid of the shadow world. And the shadow world, in terms of our imagination, is where all kinds of things, including demons, live, right? Mm. And so for a very long time, we, we we haven't sort of looked at the shadow world. And, and as though it didn't exist anymore, but of course it, it's always there. We've just been suppressing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the a, liberation. Go ahead. Oh no, no, it's the it's the unconscious mind. It's what I think we're most of the time dreaming, but we think we're um, we're beings of um, volition. Mm-hmm. Anyway, about True. the shadow world. Yeah. And anyway, I, the, you know, with Rome, you, what you have is you have the Baroque, which is, which mm-hmm. is a high contrast of light and dark. And, you know, the, the, there was something that was, you know, became a very full uh, emotional experience for me. So mm-hmm. like it, it's call? a place that, that deals with this, you know, the spiritual and the, in a very overt way. So. Where did you fall in love with sculpture? Uh, sculpture is, uh, I, uh, it's something that I've always been, uh, in love with. And, uh, I, uh, I started to kind of, you know, sort of, I, I mean, even when, as a student, I, I, you know, would from time to time make a sculpture. But, uh, more often than not, I wouldn't, and and you know, really focused on painting. But back in the sort of mid '80s, maybe 1987 or something like that, I I I actually decided to make a, a sculpture, a figure, and uh, and I did, and and you know, I really liked the process of it, and the the problems of it and stuff and so I've been doing it ever since and uh, you know maybe I do one or two a year or something like that but I, I I really find it so compelling it's it you know it's the it's it's so different than narrative painting 
it's it's something where it's so different than painting anyway because you you know in sculpture you don't control the 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 context that it'll be placed in and you don't control the light and you you know you don't control uh, the scale in relationship to the objects that surround it and things so everything you do has to be embedded in the object itself that's fundamentally different in painting and uh and you know so it i i i don't have you know the solid answers for for it but i i i'm compelled by the problems it presents so. yeah, is it more physically well it's more physical maybe um is is does it take more out of you you know how you're like drained maybe at the end of a painting or rejuvenated i don't know mm. yeah yeah it, it's uh I don't know. I th- you know, for me over the years, what I find is that I I finish a painting or I finish a sculpture, and I still don't know whether it's any good or not. And uh, and, and so the, you know the questions are you know go unanswered. Yeah. You know, there and there are days when you're going, no, this is actually good. No, this sucks. You know, this is. Um, I, well, but I, I think, think with sculpture, the uh-huh. the you know there there is another aspect to it as well, which is that it it's much more of a direct relationship to your hand mm-hmm. than the painting. A painting is you're you're extending your reach with a brush and touching with that from that distance. With sculpture, you're actually hand to hand combat with the object and. And it's it's more sensuous and it's more fraught and uh it's it's more physical and mm. and and so it I find it interesting. And also you know, there are way there are memories that your hand has that your body, your mind can't unlock by seeing. It has to unlock by actually feeling and so you know, you get to a different place in your imaginative uh, world through that. What I like also about your painting and your sculpture, and I'm thinking about um, the very notable piece, The Tumbling Woman, uh, Every it is destabilized, or in your painting, the um, you feel like a person might fall over sometimes, like you don't paint part of their leg, or I really, so I, I want to um, reach out and, and catch them. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm expressing what I, I like that because our imagination jumps in to um, to, to finish it. In, in the paintings? Oh, no, also sculpture. It feels like I, I like this. There's a sense of um, uh, instability, you know? And I, oh, yeah. Just, yeah. Know, there's... Well, I, yeah. I found that, that in order to create an immediate, like, narrative... Uh, volition, volition the right word here, mm-hmm. that, uh, to create a, uh, a, an immediate, uh, you know, connection to an unfolding. 
the uh, you need to have imbalance. You, you need to have something that is in the, in motion, and motion is is an imbalance trying to correct itself, right? Mm. That should be a good. That I've never said that before, but I think that's actually a really good definition of right. motion in yeah. in my work. That that mm. actually is the metaphor for my work. All right. It's it's you know imbalance trying to correct itself. Are you you're interested in other mediums too, like dance and and music and how do they inspire you? Yeah, I'm 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 totally. Uh, uh, fascinated by other processes of of expression, and um, I love those kind of cross discipline conversations you have mm-hmm. with, you know, writers and and dancers and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of friends who are all of those things, composers and what you know, mm-hmm. and you. It's just it, it's interesting trying to figure out because you're all kind of involved in the same thing, which is expressing something, mm. feelings and thoughts and and whatnot, and and yet you're finding these different ways of doing it that are that are on one hand incredibly limited, and 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 that means that there there are certain things they can't do. So there's a part of the the world experience that you have to edit out and say, no, I'm not going to focus on this. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that it does that in, enlarges and enhances and, and dimensionalizes and stuff. And so, you know, it's it's just always fascinating to hear and, you know, sort of see and experience those different things. And I was wondering if you were ever, even though you focused on um, visual art, whether you were attracted by other mediums to, uh, I don't know, direct films or something like that because of your particular nerve to focus. Well, you know, in the, um, in the course of my, uh, sort of my learning, I was trying to be relatively open to a variety of things. But I kept coming back to painting. But you know, I I tried performance and I tried video and photography and things like that. Uh, with film, you know, the, the the thing about the the kind of big production stuff and the delay. Which is that you you would do a project that might take you a few years to put together the funding mm. to make it happen, and then a few years before it's released. Mm. You know that that kind of process is never attractive. I I like to go in and have immediate gratification. Yeah. And. Uh, and I also like to not rely on others mm. uh, in the in the creative process. Uh, mm. You know, I rely on them later, but in the creative process, I don't. I I don't. I don't have people in my studio when I'm working. I don't have people painting my paintings. I don't. Mm. I don't. 
you know, have to have a whole crew to set up a scene, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I, I have found over the years that, that working with actors as models is really exciting. I, I really love that because they, they give me what I'm looking for, which is real life. You know, whereas a, an art model gives me poses, yeah. uh, which are something else that I'm, you know, can appreciate, but I don't respond to. Yeah, that's but, the uh, naked thing. Yeah, but I, but I, but in turn, you know, I, I think also it's like I'm, I'm a kind of narrative artist that can't sustain. A, a, a linear narrative. I, I, my whole thing is the opposite of, of theater and film in that it's, they'll take the, 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 the whole sequencing of images and voice and sound and light and, you know, environment and whatever over a period of time to create the final ultimate sort of experience of it. And uh, and I can't sustain that. For me, it's all about shrinking all of that down into a, a particular moment, mm. which then generates itself out again. But uh, anyway, so it's so I think it's fun creatively. It's fundamentally different. Mm. Uh, yeah, and it's and I it's I have no musical taste whatsoever. I, I I can't I I you know I listen to music all the time, but I have no understanding of what I'm hearing. Um, so I, so music is out as a creative uh, possibility. I don't know and, how to uh, think of Dance, it. forget, I'm too old, so... You did before. Anyway. But your drawings... No. Oil, no. But your drawings seem a lot... Um, the works on paper seem... Well, oh, the, the sculptures seem very inspired by that. Actually, the paintings. It's a yes, kind they of are. Dance. They are totally... Yeah. They are. I love dance. I love, I love motion and the body in motion, etc. Yes, no, they are. And uh, some, somehow the, the watercolors and the, and the sculpture are better able for me to capture that than painting. Mm. And uh, I used to think that that was a problem, but now I think it's just they're fundamentally different things, so they do different things. So yeah. you might find this interesting. I, yeah. I did when I when I uh, when I started to paint um, my my paintings that I became known for. Mm. The critics would refer to Manet and Degas. In mm. terms of the the lineage of the of the work, without criticizing the work, it wasn't they weren't dismissing my work because of Degas and Manet. Mm. They were just recognizing the lineage, right? Yeah, the canon. And uh, and when I did sculpture, they uh, the critics did Rodin. End of discussion. Period. Mm. Like no one can do figurative sculpture, you know, with uh, modeling after Rodin. Mm. 
that 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 he was the end of something absolutely rather than uh, a step along the way and uh, and I found that so interesting because it it and it, it took me in a, a, a thinking about it in a, in a direction that I hadn't really understood before which is that Rodin Rodin really does represent a time in which it probably was the last time that we believed that the body was capable of expressing itself that it that its meaningfulness came from flesh and bone and muscle and gesture and you could feel no matter how small he cut up the body you could always feel what the body was feeling what the person in the body was feeling and and then after that the next sort of great sculpture sculptor was Giacometti and Giacometti mm-hmm. was anorectic his was the opposite his was the body unable to actually outwardly express itself through movement and touch and feel and gesture and whatever it was the body frozen and eating itself out from inside right mm, yeah. and 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 so it it's like the what we've been experiencing over these 150 years or whatever it's been 100 and some odd years is this profound desire or or trauma in relationship mm-hmm. to the body, to get outside the body altogether, and to 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 live outside and free of the body, and mm-hmm. and then you you start to wonder why, like what is it? I mean, what and is it something that is a higher understanding, a higher experience of self, or is it something that is? Uh, a conflicted or a neurotic or a psychotic or you know what is the what is the thing that impels us to get out of it to get out of ourselves right mm-hmm. and and so that that to me created a greater urgency in terms of reasserting the physicality of our our experience to 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 put the flesh back into it to put the the muscle, to put the imperfection, to put the the sweat, the the smell, the, you know, whatever it is that the aging, the, you know, the the mortality. Mm. Anyway, that that. And I think it's very fascinating. And there are two things that you are you are pinpointing as your committee and his depictions, or maybe our exposure to images of war and emaciation. Um, and also um, the fashion industry, and do you feel that that is draining our appreciation of the corporal? Well, I, I you know, I think uh, so, so much of the fashion industry has been, you know, turning us into zombies anyway, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, they even look like fucking zombies. Mm-hmm. Right? They're the pallor, the, the, you know, the, 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 the mask, the, I mean, you know, they're they're you know the anorectic model for one thing, mm-hmm. 
right? Every every yeah. everybody is like scrawny to ridiculous, and you know the or the whole thing, the androgyny, the the you know the the the. I, now that I'm thinking about it, I think we're insane. <laughs> I think we're, we're collectively we are fucking insane. Not right? just you and I, but outside the larger circle. Yes, of course. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and artists just admit it, and some insane people just admit it, and the and the the big yeah, insanity is yeah, to hide it. Yeah, but <laughs> I, you know, I guess the question is: Do you embrace your insanity, or do you try to to not be, or you know, what is it? I don't know. It's interesting, but critics. Uh, pinpointed uh, Degas and Rodin and and also it that is a lineage because you bring something new to it uh, and I think because uh, your art is in positioned as uniquely American but when I look at it you know I live in Paris uh, I, I see uh, many uh, French qualities because it's uh, I find it beautiful because it shows us what it is to be human and it could be so awkward but actually that's it's beautiful because it's what makes the individual unique. Uh, and these are some things we, we like to believe we celebrate in France. Um, mm-hmm. All the little flaws are kind of anti... Well, even though the fashion industry is very rooted here, but um, the average person is very much into celebrating these things. Uh, you know, you have a gap in your tooth here, and they call it the, the teeth of happiness. You know, it's not about making uh-huh. everything perfect. Um, you know, that's right. the contrast. Um, I guess I like you must that. be... Oh, there are a lot of things like that. They turn, uh, they twist something into a positive, which is which would be airbrushed, I think, by the fashion industry. What is your message uh, for for students? You know, what what do you think about um, the future and uh, the future of art and communication and the kind of uh, world we're leaving our children? The um the the what I what I think uh you know, I don't I don't have one thing that I mm-hmm. clearly articulated to to encourage the students, but I mm-hmm. uh I I think we we what we're facing now in is that the uh the kind of way that we receive information and imagery really goes against the fundamental nature of painting and sculpture mm. and uh, and they have to be aware of that they have to be aware of what those differences are because it it uh, it's going to have a tremendous effect on uh, on what what it is they produce um, you know the the fact that you receive imagery. First of all, the fact that you receive imagery is something that's changed. You know, certainly within my lifetime, we started to receive imagery, but uh, but now they receive it in so many different ways, so frequently, mm-hmm. and and they receive it in, in in everything from you know on your iPhone to your to a billboard. Yeah. That they the the sense of the uniqueness of the object is lost, 
and uh, and you know painting great painting has always relied on uh, a profound sense of internal scale mm. which determines the 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 experience the physicality the physical uh, experience of the object and uh, and now that that scale has uh, disappeared because we receive things in size, which is small, medium, large, extra large, uh, and that it makes uh, the object itself feel arbitrary and uh, or just commodity. You know, it's like, well, I can I can make this for a market that'll you know purchase them at this size. But uh, so the, so you know, my thing is to try to get uh, students to perceive what that difference actually is and then make a decision based on that. Yes, you feel that the technology is also, it's making us not see in a sense by inundating us with images? It, it's not connecting uh, seeing to feeling. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's the big problem. It's it's connecting scene to scene, and uh, and it's also connecting it. In actually, it's like already seen to scene, and and you know usually the artist is the one that is is gifted to see first, right? Yeah. That 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 they everyone witnesses, but the artist sees at the same time they witness, and it's the seeing that is the order of understanding, mm -hmm. and uh, and and so what you're getting now is you're getting a lot of artists that are receiving already seen things. They've already been organized. And then they're taking it and sort of reorganizing it, uh, as, you know, maybe as a formal exercise, but, but not as a, something that is really transformative. Mm. Yeah, so impersonal, uh, digital magpie or something. It's, you've been in a very long, um, and as I understand, loving relationship with April Gornick, and it's so stable. And, and yet many of your paintings are about intense, like dramatic moments. And uh, how do you find, when you're, when you're surrounded by all this um, stable, loving relationship, how do you uh, get back in touch with those dramatic moments? I think probably that I sought out a stable relationship mm -hmm. is exactly <laughs> what affords me the ability to look into the instability that I'm much more familiar with. So, you know, it's, uh, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it's, you're, you're not asking that question, but uh, I'll include in it how does yeah. success change that? Right, mm, any kind yeah. of success. How, how can you go in your studio and pretend to that you're in a in a you know constant struggle? Right? Mm. Is, is it false? Is it is the drama that you you know you paint 
real or fake, right? Mm. Is it, you know, is it I'm painting these things because I'm expected to paint these things or am I painting these things because it's still very vivid and real to me, right? Yes. And, and, and I have to answer that question. Uh, ultimately, the work answers the question mm. with whether it feels authentic or not. But, uh, mm. but, you know, for sure, it's like you, you wake up and, you know, you're, you live in an incredibly privileged and comfortable life and, you know, you're not struggling and you're in a stable relationship and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, what is, what's real? What, what is, you know, um, I, I don't know. I do know yeah. this, that, uh, yeah. the, the, it's, it's far easier t- for the creative mind to imagine chaos and pain than it is for them to imagine, uh, harmony. And uh, it, that the language, you know, if you look at the history of art, for example, or all the arts, the imagination that is required to visualize hell is far more creative and imaginative than what it takes to imagine heaven. You know, he- heaven, you got some pastel colors, everything's in order end of discussion period <laughs> you know you go into hell and it's like worlds of pain worlds of imagined torment you know it's it's something that it's easier to sort of stay with so yes it goes back to your theory that we're we're all crazy we're all troubled uh we're all well. we all are <laughs> sure. that's a beautiful note to end on oh anyway right. um <laughs> on that happy note. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. <laughs> thank you for uh, interviewing me to find out we're all insane. <laughs> the Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate Interviews Producer on this podcast was Lainey Sperry from... Digital media coordinator is Yu Young Lee. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved in our exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works, just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info.